Scripture reading is in the book of Acts, Acts 12, verses 1 through 17. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when, he was, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And then he had, uh, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, uh, but earnest prayer for him was made uh, to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought it was, he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, uh, gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in to report that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So please pray with me. Uh, Lord, what, a, what an amazing story uh, to read this day, to see how you rescue people, to see your power uh, and your grace and your mercy in these things and the power of prayer and the prayer of your people. Uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you for... Uh, the, the strange time we live in, we thank you for technology. We thank you for the ability to us to uh, either remotely to look into your word, uh, Father, to uh, uh, to see your truth. Uh, and Lord, we uh, we pray that uh, as Pastor Ed brings forth your your word this morning, that you would uh, speak through him, speak to us in it, Father, that we would uh, be drawn closer to you. And if anyone that is uh, listening or watching this morning. Uh, does not know Christ as Savior, does not uh, know this power of God that we see in your word uh, in our lives personally. Um, Father, today would be a, a day of salvation for them, that you would open eyes to understand uh, that we are all sinners, that we are all in need of a Savior. Father, that, that sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. And the only way to have that eternal life, that salvation, uh, to spend eternity in heaven, uh, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and Lord, we, uh, we again, we just thank you for an opportunity to, to look into your word, uh, even though we may not be able to gather in person. Uh, Father, you have provided other ways for us to, um, 
to worship together. And we uh, just pray your continued uh, protection over this body, um, over your people. And Lord, we do uh, be at your will. Look forward to seeing each other once again in a couple of weeks. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You can open your Bibles with me to three places if you want to put your finger in these three places. First Thessalonians 5, where Pastor Stephen has been teaching from. Second Kings 19, and Acts chapter 12, where um, Brian just read from. And we'll continue with Pastor Stephen's teaching through First Thessalonians. Uh, over the years, many people have come to me and uh, asked, how do I know the will of God for my life? That's always a, a good question. And while admitting that I, I do not know uh, the will of God for them regarding their vocation or uh, who they're going to marry, uh, I do know that Scripture does give guidance to us regarding the will of God. And we've seen that even in, uh, in this book here in First Thessalonians. Uh, Pastor Stephen covered one very clear example uh, when he went through chapter 4 of First Thessalonians. You can just flip over there with me, chapter 4, and follow as I read verses 3 through 8. I think this, and along with chapter 5, uh, where we are this morning, are two very clear um, passages of Scripture which we really can look at and say, this is God's will for my life. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8 it is God's will, very, very clear words here, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he goes on and pretty much explains uh, what that consists of here in this context, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do not know God, and that are in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, we can see in this, if believers only follow this instruction on God's will, think of how many things would change in our own lives and in, in the lives of, of the church, to pursue sanctification, to avoid sexual immorality, to learn um, self-control and to control our bodies, not to wrong our brother, not to take advantage of other people, in other words, to uh, love one another, and then to live a holy life. Uh, I would say that's quite enough to work on for quite some period of time with regard to God's will uh, for your life. So if you consistently do these things, then I would say go pursue whatever your heart desires. If you are actually desirous of God's will and you are actually putting these things into practice, then um, I would say that's evidence that you are actually loving God, and I would be with Augustine and saying love God, and then go do what you want. Um, go do what you please, and, and he will then give you the desires of your heart. But then we come to 1 Thessalonians 5, and again we see those words, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, what instruction precedes this? Look there with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I would just remind you that ever since this church started way back in the years when uh, Ted Hake, one of our leaders, was here, whenever he would get behind the pulpit, he, was, he would always have us recite these verses. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And that would be, um, be joyful always, or rejoice always, pray continually, or pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things, for this is, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just wonderful, wonderful verses. Uh, unfortunately, I think um, I've come across too many Christians who are consistently searching for God's will in their life, but who neglect these very clear commands. And in other words, they, they want to know what God's will is for uh, what job I'm going to have, or who to marry, or what house to buy, or um, even what church to go to, but then neglecting these very clear commands that we have in Scripture. Um, last week, Pastor Stephen did a, a wonderful job in bringing out the command, uh, rejoice always, or, or be joyful always, First Thessalonians 5.16. And if you miss that, I would strongly recommend that you um, go online. You're online now, so you could go back and look at that and um, hear that sermon because it was truly encouraging uh, that we should live that life of rejoicing always. Um, which brings us to the second command in these verses concerning God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And I just want to make a comment here that in Christ, through faith in him and his work on our behalf, um, we may approach God with confidence. So, so really, it's the foundation of the gospel that we rejoice in. I call that gospel-generated joy. We rejoice in the fact that I have eternal life through the death burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, I can have eternal life. That brings me great joy. Um, Also, because of the gospel, it gives me the right um, and the opportunity to go directly to the Father in prayer. I can approach him. And the reason I can do that is because I come in the righteousness of Christ. If I did not have the righteousness of Christ, I could not approach or even come into the presence of the Lord. So very important, even as we go through this, the words in Christ, this is God's will for you in Christ. As we see, um, Paul uses those words very frequently in Scripture, and he's referring to our position. The position of the believer is we are in Christ. So therefore, because we are in Christ, we can then approach our Heavenly Father, and we can see that we can do that with confidence. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked for. That's confidence. That's confidence. I can come to the Lord with confidence. I can approach the throne of grace with boldness, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is and what he has done for me. The question is, do we really believe what we read in these verses, that if I ask anything according to his will, that uh, he hears me, and then I can go about knowing that I have what I have asked for? And I'd say most would say that they believe these verses, but in practice, um, the question is, do we really do our lives really show that we believe these verses by the way we live and by um, the way we, we pray and look at the necessity of prayer? Um, some reasons uh, that uh, I think people shy away a little bit is because if um, they because God is sovereign and omniscient, the, the question always comes up, well, if God knows all things and God is sovereign over all things, 
then why, why should I pray? Um, why, why does he need my prayers? Well, I would say he doesn't need your prayers. However, first off, I would say we pray because we're commanded to pray. That's a good reason. Uh, there are many things in Scripture that I read that I'm commanded to do throughout various times in my life that I'm not so sure I understand exactly why the Lord told me to do that. But I'm going to do it because he told me to do it. And I'm going to obey him because I know that he's working all things for his glory and for my good at the same time. So I'd say, first off, without even any understanding, what we can do is we can just be obedient. We need to pray without ceasing. But let me give you the words of uh, a a great writer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, regarding his thought on this. He writes, The God who determines the end determines the means. That is, he determines the end, but he also determines the means to the end. All right? And if God in his infinite wisdom is determined that he's going to bring certain things to pass as a result of and in answer to the prayers of his people, I ask with reverence, why shouldn't he? And it is there that I see the infinite condescension and kindness of God. It is his way of bringing us into and giving us a share in the work and the glory. That's a wonderful statement. In other words, I love the thought that God has given me this avenue of prayer. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he will do. Nothing can thwart what he's going to do. We understand that. But we also know that he commands us to pray. So when we ask why, we know that he ordains not the end only, but also the means. And he gives us the opportunity to participate and be part of his plan. Now, that should excite us. That should actually drive us to prayer. Um, as we as we look at that. So what a loving and gracious God we have that would include us and in, in our feeble prayers in his overall plan to accomplish all things. So we should really run to this opportunity uh, to be used by him to accomplish his will and his purposes. And we'll we'll see some examples of the necessity of prayer as we go on both in the Old Testament and the uh, in the New Testament. First in the Old Testament, go over to 2 Kings 18. Uh, I love this story. I know those of you who have been here over the years, you know I refer to this, this story often because it has always excited me when you read through uh, the various passages um, in Scripture. And I think it's, it's just a wonderful illustration of how God uses prayer. King Hezekiah was facing... Uh, the Assyrian army who had defeated every nation in their path and threatened to overtake and destroy Jerusalem. The king of Assyria promised the people that if they would compromise their faith, now see if this doesn't sound familiar, and follow him, life would be good for them. Chicken in every pot, car in every garage, Herbert Hoover, 1928. (laughs) Okay, Basically, that's what he's saying. If you stop listening to Hezekiah, stop putting your trust in this God of the Jews, then you, I have something to offer you which is far better. Now look at his words in 2 Kings 18, verses 31 to 35. He says, Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. And come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one will 
each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land with grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Just perfect counterfeit of what God had promised the Israelites right there in the promised land, all right? Just a perfect counterfeit. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of, his, out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Just, it just, doesn't it just run with pride? Here am I. You come with me. None of those gods could stop me, and your God will not either. Now, hearing these words, they had a history. And this was an impossible situation. No one had been successful against the king of Assyria to this point, And he's knocking at the door of Jerusalem. Impossible for man, but not impossible for God. And then he mocks uh, the God. This is the God that he mocks. Many others have been driven to despair. But King Hezekiah was driven to prayer. And we need to remember that. Because in situations in life, you may, you may be led to despair. Um, I think there's uh, things coming at this country, probably, that may lead some of us to despair. But what it should do is not lead us to despair, but lead us to prayer. And this is exactly what it did with Hezekiah. Um, go, go down to, verse, uh, to 2 Kings 19, verses 14 through 19. So the king writes this letter, has this letter sent to Hezekiah. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. First thing he does, he gets the letter, he takes it to the house of the Lord and opens it. And then the next words we say and we read here is Hezekiah prayed. Hezekiah prayed. He went to the Lord in prayer before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of earth, you have made the heaven and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands and have cast the gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. They were uh, therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the nations of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Don't miss that last statement. I'm not focusing on that in this particular sermon, but very clearly what you will see in, in, in many of the prayers is that the focus was not, save me, O Lord, I'm in trouble, it's, it's come and save us so that your name will be glorified, so that your name will be known all over the earth. And that's what we see here, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. 
That's the motive. That is according to God's will. That is praying um, to according to uh, the will of the Lord. Well, uh, did God answer his prayer is the question. Well, you have to go down to Second uh, Kings 19.35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. 185,000 dead bodies at the finger of the Lord. The hand of the Lord goes out. No war, no fighting going on. Nothing, just the Lord goes out and takes out 185,000 men. The king of Assyria broke camp, returned to Nineveh, where he was murdered by his own sons. So the question that we have to ask in this is, did the prayer of Hezekiah really make any difference? Um, Would it have turned out differently if Hezekiah had not prayed? Those of us who believe that God is a sovereign God and all-knowing, you have to wrestle with these questions, don't you? You have to ask yourself, well, what if Hezekiah didn't pray? God, God's purposes will not be thwarted. Uh, would he still take out the king of Assyria and, and save Jerusalem for himself? Well, Scripture answers that for us, and it's, it's very clear. Um, you don't have to go over there, but I, in Isaiah chapter 37, there's another an account of this event. And here's what we read in that account, these all-important words. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you prayed. Now, you can't get around those words, all right? Because you prayed have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord spoken against him. And then it goes through a whole uh, section of Scripture, all the things that were going to take place. And and at the end of it, we see uh, the miraculous death of 185,000 men at the hand of the Lord in answer to the prayer. So when you see this, if he didn't pray... uh, um, would this have happened? Well, I'd have to say I don't know. I don't know whether it would happen or not. But we do know what did happen, and we do have those words, because you prayed. As Lloyd-Jones said, it is his way of bringing us into and giving us a share in the work in his glory. Hezekiah shared in that great work, uh, bringing God glory and taking out the king of Assyria. Now let's go over to a New Testament example. Uh, Go over to Acts chapter 12, where Brian read earlier this morning, Acts chapter 12. So we see prayer is a great privilege granted to us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through faith in the gospel, as believers, we have this avenue to approach that throne of grace with boldness. And as we read these examples, we see that it isn't just a matter of, I'm putting my prayers up, and it really doesn't matter, because God is going to do what God is going to do. Remember, he ordains the end, but he also ordains the means. And when he ordains the means, prayer is one of the means he uses to accomplish his will. I've given the example of uh, cogs and gears, and you see God's will going and prayer going, and they're, they're, they're going like this, and God is using both of them. Yes, he has his will, but he also ordains the prayers of the saints. So whenever you're questioning whether or not I should pray, pray. Number one, to be obedient. 
Number two, remember those words, Isaiah 37.21. I think that's, that's where it is. 37.21, those words of Isaiah about Hezekiah. And the Lord's words, because you prayed. Because you prayed. That should encourage all of us um, to get on our knees and pray. Acts chapter 12. King Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death um, by the sword. So we read in verses 3 through 5, Acts 12. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over four, uh, delivering him over two, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. What are those next words? But earnest prayer from him was being made to God by the church. That's so important. <laughs> yes, Peter was delivered over. In the coming years, some of us may be delivered over. Who knows? Our, our brothers and sisters around the world are being delivered over to, to prison sentences today as we speak. And yet the church of God was praying. Does it make a difference when we read our Voice of the Martyrs uh, magazines and we have the presentations? Does it make a difference that we gather together and pray for these people? And I would say absolutely. God is using those prayers to affect and, and implement his will, his sovereign will, um, all, all around the world. So in, in verse 12, we see that many people had gathered and were praying. It's kind of like Wednesday evening here at uh, ABC. And if you don't know what's that, what that is like, I would encourage you to come. It's a wonderful time we have of gathering together and praying. And you're missing that opportunity to be directly involved in the ministries that God is doing through this church. Over the year, pe years, uh, people have said to me uh, that they wanted to be involved in the church and they want to um, be using their gifts. And yet they don't come out to Wednesday evening to pray. That's interesting. Now, I know some people work on Wednesday evenings. Um, Brian works evening tour. Um, so uh, people work and there are obligations. But what I'm telling you is if you want to be involved in what God is doing, you can be involved by coming and praying. Just remember these examples that I'm pointing out to you this morning in Second Kings and, and here now in Acts chapter 12. The church was earnestly praying for Peter, verse 5. They gathered together to pray, verse 12. Of Acts chapter 12. Thomas Watson said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, and um, but it was the prayers of the saints that fetched the angel. Okay, The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was the prayers of the saints that fetched the angel. Follow as I read chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Of course, Peter's there. He's, he's in jail. He's sleeping like a baby. He, he knows. He's trusting in the Lord. He doesn't know whether he's going to have his head chopped off or whether he's going to be released. But you know what? I'm sure he was thinking right along with, with uh, Paul, and that is um, to be with Christ is better by far. Um, so we look at that. So he's sleeping, and the angel comes in and says, Get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. Just fell off. I love that. Doesn't say how they fell off. Just says chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. 
And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that, that what was uh, being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them on its own accord. No problem there for the Lord, right? And they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. What they were expecting was his head, just like um, James. So was the prayer meeting an unusual event for this church, uh, for Peter? I don't think so. Back in Acts 2.42, we read they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So at the very beginning of the church, ten chapters earlier, we see that the people were devoted to prayer. And then also um, in chapter 1 of Acts, we read they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women Mary and the mother James and his brothers. So we see that prayer was central to this, uh, the new church being even before the group of people that the believers that would experience the day of Pentecost, it was central to them and it was central um, after that. So did the church who prayed for Peter have some kind of super faith? We have to ask that. Did they in the first century have some kind of great super faith that far exceeds our, many times I would look at my own faith as a, a weak faith, and I would say no. I'd say no. And we see this in their astonishment when they're confronted with a knock on the door from Peter. Now, you would think if they had some kind of super faith, they would be praying and they would be telling Rhoda, the servant, to keep go, you go keep checking that door because we absolutely believe that God is going to release Peter. Now, I'm sure there were many there that were praying that probably did believe that God was going to release Peter. But Scripture really kind of gives us a little different picture here. Matter of fact, when Peter's knocking on the door and Rhoda comes and says, um, Peter's at the door, they tell her, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Why did they tell her that? Because Peter's in prison. We're just praying for him to be released. So you see, this really wasn't some kind of uh, super faith uh, that they had. Um, but then we read in verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Like, what are you doing here? Well, I, I would love to be in on that conversation because wouldn't it be neat if Peter looked at him and said, weren't you praying for me? That's why I'm here. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. Those words from Isaiah 37, 21. Because you prayed, I am here. God released me. He sent that angel because of your prayers. So they were astonished. So this doesn't show some kind of super faith available in the first century, but unavailable to us today. Um, it, it, they clearly doubted it was Peter, and um, they didn't realize, they didn't even believe it was him until they actually saw his face um, at the door. But the faith that they had, they exercised in fervent prayer, gathering together to pray without ceasing. God heard their prayer and acted. Now we ask the same question. Would God have released Peter if they had not prayed? What if, what if they didn't pray? Well, God heard their prayer and he acted. He acted. So we don't know if he would have, right? We don't know if he would have. But what we do know 
is what did happen and what the Holy Spirit recorded for us, and that is the fact that they did pray and Peter was released. (laughs) And I believe the Holy Spirit gives us that information to encourage us. That's just not some details in Scripture. He kind of salts in this whole uh, narrative those those little words and the church was gathered together to pray and they were fervently praying you know i don't think the holy spirit puts those in there um, and they're not important i think they're extremely important to let us know the connection between god accomplishing his sovereign will and the prayers of the saints ordaining the outcome and ordaining um, the methods and all the things that god is going to use to bring about that outcome he ordains. So we see that right here with all that's happening around the world right now um, and even in our country. I believe we must pray without ceasing. I know many people have been praying, praying for the election. Well, um, it's interesting. You know, there were people praying for elections when when Jimmy Carter um, became president. All right. Now, you may think back and disagree with that. But there's a lot of people that say Ronald Reagan would never have become president if Jimmy Carter had not become president. Uh, actually, if you happen to be, and I'm not going to take a political side here, a Trump supporter, um, Trump himself has said he wouldn't be president if Barack Obama had not been made president before him. So you can see, no matter where you go, you're going to see the hand of God working through the prayers of the people. So as we pray now, we want to pray for God's will. We don't know what's ahead of us, but we are commanded to pray, and we should be gathering together to pray. And all of these things going on around the world, I think, would encourage us even more to devote ourselves to prayer. We see that. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, our text this morning, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, 1 Peter 4.7, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, or for the sake of your prayers in the ESV. So we see the idea of always praying and praying, and then we have much uh, instruction in Scripture about living um, godly lives in order for our prayers to be effective and how we treat our wives' husbands. Uh, if uh, you don't want your prayers to be hindered, so you better treat your wives well. Um, all of those things and the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, and of course we know that righteousness only comes through Christ. I would say over the past almost 30 years, we have a, a little bit, a month or so to be 30 years here on January 6th, but over the past 30 years, I have watched the Lord answer prayers in this church in the most amazing ways. And I think any of you that have been here for a while would agree with me that we have seen the hand of the Lord uh, move through our prayers, the prayers of the saints in this church. And many churches right now don't even have a prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is gone from most churches. Uh, when you go around the country, when Faith and I travel, we, we see churches, and we're astonished that even in the Sunday morning service, at the lack of prayer. And then we find out there is no, no gathering in the middle of the week to pray. And the reason is, it's just not on the priority list. And I think people have actually made the decision, believers have made the decision, that um, no, prayer just isn't that important. You have to come to that conclusion because if we're not gathering around to pray, and as you've heard me say and Brian uh, say over the years, that we really believe, if not the most important service and important service of the week, is our Wednesday evening 
prayer meeting because that's when we do business with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor in 1800s, a pastor of over 6,000 people in his church, he, he said this, a prayerful church is a powerful church. A prayerful church is a powerful church. We've watched the Lord do things through this little body of believers here that are unbelievable. And people have said, I, I know sometimes when they, they hear of what the Lord has done through this church, around the world, down the road at the ministry center, all around the different nations, and then they come here and they go, I expected to see a much bigger church. Well, you don't have to see a big church. See a big God. And then see a small church with people on their knees constantly praying. And God will then work. So he says a powerful church is a, a prayerful church is a powerful church. The condition of the church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meeting. This is Spurgeon back <laughs> 1800s, right? So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. <laughs> I love the fact that he would use that word. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among the people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he is not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness of prayer. Amazing, amazing words. And he credited all that God did to extend his kingdom through Spurgeon's ministry as a direct result of prayer, his own prayers and the ongoing intercessory work of the congregation of his congregation. So what we read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18 is be joyful always. That's a command. Pastor Stephen uh, gave us some great words on that last week. Pray continually, be devoted to prayer, don't stop praying, continue to pray, and remember, that doesn't mean that you have to take an hour in the morning and pray. Remember that prayer of Nehemiah when he went before the king, right? He's standing before the king, and he shoots up a prayer. Okay, then he starts to talk. Many times we face things in life that we can... Right now, I, I can shoot up a prayer to the Lord. I can come into his presence. I can say, Lord, I need help right now. I have to make a decision right now. Or I'm facing a very difficult situation. And then don't neglect gathering together. There's power when the body of Christ comes together to pray. Pray continually, always with a thankful heart. Always thanksgiving for what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do will do the promises that we stand on we can be very thankful for and we know that this is god's will for you in christ jesus so if you're ever wondering what is the will of god for me well just go to these verses all right be joyful always that's god's will for you pray continually that's god's will for you give thanks in all circumstances and that is god's will for you in christ jesus and we may only remember it's so critical. We may only approach the Father in the righteousness of Christ. You know, we're told that the prayers of the wicked are actually an abomination to the Lord. You can't just come into the presence of God without the righteousness of Christ. And the only way we have that righteousness is by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are born again. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We are placed into Christ with that union with Christ his righteousness. He took our place on the cross, took our sin upon himself, our sin imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to us. We then, 
we, all of us who are believers, can come into the presence of a holy, righteous Father. And we can pray because we're in Christ and, and the Father sees the righteousness of Christ. We can come with boldness. We can come with confidence that what we ask for as we pray according to his will that we know we have. In two weeks, we'll be resuming our, our prayer meeting. Uh, and I just want to encourage all of you, uh, after this two-week period of, of just uh, taking a step back, uh, um, I encourage all of you to come out to prayer meeting. Come out and pray with us. It's a, we hear the Word of God preached, uh, just a short Bible lesson, and then we break up in groups and we pray. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for each other. We pray for our government. Um, it's just a wonderful time to be together. So I know Pastor Stephen and I hope to see you on that uh, Wednesday night on December 3rd um, when we gather back here and have that wonderful time of prayer. Let's close with prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that I, right now, I can come and I can approach, approach a righteous God because I come to you in the righteousness of Christ, not my own righteousness. I have no righteousness apart from Christ. But I can approach that throne of grace boldly, and I can pray, and I can ask, and I search for your will, and I want to pray according to your will. Lord, and it's my prayer that, that all of us who are listening this morning and all the people in this church, Lord, we will know that this is your will. This isn't something that's debatable. It isn't a debatable issue as to whether we should rejoice, always pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. It is your will for us in Christ Jesus. So we can know that. We have great examples and with Hezekiah, with those great words, because you prayed, this is what I'm going to do. What else do we need than for the very God of heaven to say, because you prayed, this is what I'm going to do. And then we see, we look back and we see Peter and we think of those believers around the world, in North Korea and different places around the world who are being held behind bars. Lord, we can pray. We can pray, Lord, that, that uh, you would be glorified. That's our desire. Our desire, yes, is for them to be released. But our desire is that of Hezekiah's also, that your name would be held up high. And, and the world would know that you alone, O oh God, uh, are the very God of the universe, the one and only true God. That's what our desire is. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that uh, through this message and the reading of scriptures that we would have a new, a renewed desire to gather together to pray. Pray for our country through these difficult times right now. Lord, we, uh, we wait to see. We pray, as David said, he prays in the morning with expectation. We want to pray with that expectation that you will hear us and that you will answer us. Lord, thank you for this avenue of prayer. And we know it's only possible because of the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. You sent your Son. While we were yet sinners, he died on the cross for our sin, took our place, was buried and was raised on the third day, ascended to heaven, and is interceding for us at this moment. Only by faith alone in Christ alone can we have this great opportunity to come to you and cry out to you, Abba Father. And we do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.